politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Adam, what do spies and scammers have in common? What don't they have in common? Look, guys, for the purposes of our show, spies and cyber criminals traffic in data. Hmm, true, but they also traffic in being sneaky. Yeah, and that. And with that, welcome to What the Hack, a show about hackers, scammers, and the people they go after. I'm Adam Levin. I'm Bo Friedlander. And I'm Travis Taylor. For over 20 years, FBI Special Agent Robert Hansen leaked sensitive data to the Soviet Union and post-perestroika to the government of Russia. He's the worst intelligence disaster in U.S. history. He's also the subject of a podcast created by this week's guest, Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. Please welcome Chief Washington Correspondent for CBS News, Major Garrett. Hello. Major Garrett, we're really excited to have you on our show, and we we appreciate you taking the time to talk about a pretty fascinating subject. I got to know, how did you go from a Washington correspondent to creating a podcast about a spy story from the Cold War? So I'm the chief Washington correspondent for CBS News, and I've been in Washington since 1990. Anyone familiar with my career knows I've worked for lots of different news outlets, the Washington Times. U.S. News and World Report, CNN, Fox, National Journal, CBS News. And, and my specialty, to the degree I have one in Washington, has been Congress, the presidency, and campaigns, which leads to the question underlying our conversation. What am I doing in the world of espionage? Robert Hansen was a suburban dad. He had a dog, six kids, went to church on Sundays, and during the week, too. He was a solid citizen, extremely reliable. Hansen worked a government job, out the door by six, back by six at night. Predictable. He was as regular as pie. Robert Hansen was also something else. Finish this sentence. Robert Philip Hansen was the most damaging spy in FBI history. For what was it that drew you to Robert Hansen's story? Lockdown. <laughs> Perfect. You know, <laughs> I took up sculpture. You took up spies. <laughs> you took up sculpture. Other people picked up a musical instrument that they hadn't played since high school. People learned to make sourdough bread. Some people knitted things. I really plunged into the space of podcasting. So Robert Hansen is an American antihero. He is an American villain. Who was Robert Hansen? He was a special agent with the FBI, started his career in the late 70s, and he became, over time, the most infamous, damaging spy for the Soviets than the Russians in FBI history. Information he handed over led directly to the execution of at least three Soviets that the United States had recruited to assist us 
And during the Cold War, both the United States and the Soviet Union worked aggressively to recruit others in each other's government to learn as much as they could about the intentions, the plans, and the capabilities as these two great superpowers stared at one another every hour of every day with snarling nuclear arsenals pointed at one another. And Hansen, unlike many of that era, was not recruited by the Soviets. He was a volunteer. And for 22 years, off and on, he handed over not just the identities of people that had been recruited by the United States, but technological capabilities, super secret sensitive, costly technological capabilities that the United States had developed, and other information that the Soviets used and the intelligence community saw, to its great horror, off and on, programs being worked on, information being developed, evaporate. Its usefulness and methodologies disappearing before their very eyes. So a giant sap of resources. Mm-hmm. Yes, hundreds of, hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe more than a billion dollars in actual programs, personnel, and technologies compromised because of Hansen, in addition to the people we know for sure his information led to the execution of. Well, wasn't there something like 6,000 files that he turned over? The, the number is right around that ballpark, yes. And the interesting thing is the FBI did not have a culture, and we'll get to this on the cyber side and the computer side of it in a second, but it just didn't have a culture of suspecting anyone within its ranks could do anything nefarious. And so, as a result, lax isn't even the proper word. Utterly indifferent is probably a better phrase to how it, the FBI regarded internal security and watching people who worked for the Bureau, even in the most sensitive areas. Was he a particularly talented agent? He wasn't bad. Wasn't great, but wasn't bad. But damned by faint praise there. I mean, he, was, he seemed like he was a run-of-the-mill guy, actually. I mean, based on what I heard in your podcast, not, not a real standout. No. I mean, he, was, he wasn't a, a complete layabout. He wasn't dead wood in the sense that he suggested things that the FBI used to improve some of its techniques in the counterintelligence space and in the intelligence space. It's not as if he did nothing and was worthless. He had a kind of value. Not an extraordinary amount of value, but he didn't do nothing. The Inspector General's report describes him as a slightly better than average agent who was promoted a lot, even though he probably shouldn't have been. Are we talking a sort of Peter principle here? or It's hard for me to offer that kind of description because... It's not as if Robert Hansen didn't do things and didn't impress people in certain respects, in certain ways, at certain times. He did. I think he was promoted often because he was so annoying <laughs> and off-putting that people wanted to get them out of their department and put him into another department. And the best way to do that was to kind of shove him up the ladder a little bit. Yeah. And that's what happened. So it's not as if... He was just some favored person who did nothing and kept rising inexplicably. He did, he did it enough, did enough things to impress enough people, but mostly he was kind of a pain in the neck. And people was like, can we, can we get him to another spot? How about, how about over there? <laughs> it sounds like Travis. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, thanks. 
Speaking of talent and ability, anonymity is a really hard thing to maintain in the modern age. Even if you're a spy, it seems like he did a pretty good job with it. How did he escape detection for so long? It's a great question, and it's an important part of the Hansen story because when I said a moment ago that he volunteered that he was a walk-in, that was an important part of his introduction. But once introduced and once he had confirmed his value to the Soviets, and all this began during the Cold War when it was the Soviet Union and the KGB, Hansen uniquely ran himself. Most people who are recruited or who deal with a foreign adversary over time get a handler, a supervisor, someone who runs them, who gives them instructions and is their means by which things are done and in sequence and in place. Not Hansen. Hansen ran himself, explained to the Soviets what he was going to do, how he was going to do it, and because he was of a higher value than almost anyone else that they had in their midst, they let him run himself. Okay, so what made Robert Hansen so high value that he was able to call his own plays? I mean, who was this guy? Hansen, early in his career, because he had had some experience in accounting training, got into the budget division. Now, you think to yourself, wait a minute, you're an FBI, don't you want to catch bank robbers and homicidal maniacs and street criminals and drug dealers and stuff like that? No, Robert Hansen decided he wanted to be in the budget unit. Now, why might that matter? Well, in the budget unit, particularly within the FBI, having access to every piece of data about money that the Bureau was using or asking for gave you insight into every FBI operation, every FBI operation. And why might that matter if you are going to be a spy for a hostile foreign power like the Soviets? Well, then you know exactly how much the FBI is spending on internal surveillance. You know things that are seemingly mundane, like, well, who's working overtime this weekend? Why would it matter who's working overtime? Overtime on the weekends typically is an indicator of surveillance. If you want to making sure that you're not being watched or that there isn't watch going on that weekend, being in the budget unit is a really good place to be. It's a perfect perch to keep track of things that you have a unique desire to know and exploit. And early on, that's one of the things that Hansen did. You noted the fact that he walked in. Mm-hmm. With a foreign intelligence agency, when you walk in, does that set off all kinds of red flags? Or I mean, was it common for a lot of people to walk in? It, it was in between, unique and common. It wasn't without precedent, but it was more uncommon than not. And walk-ins did come with a de degree of hesitation because... Hostile foreign powers, foreign intelligence services understand that people who walk in may not be genuine as Hansen was. Hey, I want to give you stuff that harms my government and I want you to give me money for it. They can be provocations, probing, going in and seeing what you want and seeing how do you interact and how you deal with them. So oftentimes foreign intelligence services will say, what are you doing in here? Why are you even here? You shouldn't be here. What was interesting about Hansen is he dropped off a letter and that was it. And through that letter, other communications 
which he was running, conveyed two things, an elevated level of spycraft and very, very good information. And once the Soviets figured out both of those things, hmm, this is, this is a serious person with serious intent and valuable information, the relationship began. So do we know why Hansen actually became a spy? Was there a pressure of some sort or blackmail or was it just uh, financial? The ultimate answer to that is probably money was a motivation. I have struggled with the answer to the question, why, what's the single answer? And I don't think in Hansen's case, there is a single answer. Money is certainly part of it. But if money was the only motivation, then he would have demanded and gotten so much more money than he got. He got about $600,000. Everyone we've talked to within the FBI and the CIA has said, if he was purely motivated by money, he could have driven that price up well into the millions, easily, because he was so valuable and because the information was so golden and so precise. This seems like a much lower tech era. Uh, he wasn't really hacking into computers, was he? Was this more like hiding a package under a bridge-type spy stuff? I mean, dead drops were very much of a certain era. And over time, when he became more adept with computers and more familiar with computers, he wanted to communicate through computer-like devices. And he wanted the Soviets to use more of that type of technology. They were slow moving, and the Russians, after the fall of the Soviet Union, were slow moving in that front. Nobody wanted to move as fast into the technology era as he did. And, and he was also, early on, very much into encryption. And he was convinced that the way he had encrypted his particular Palm Pilot, the FBI could never crack. He turned out to be wrong about that, but he had that very strong belief. This spring, get out there, enjoy the weather, and recapture the magic of riding a bike with electric e-bike. With an amazing variety of models built for riders of all abilities, it's never been easier to fall in love with riding again. Plus, every electric e-bike ships free and only requires quick, toolless assembly. This is my first ever e-bike, and the experience has just been great. I was a little bit intimidated at first because I hadn't gone biking in a while, but the 500-watt motor that the electric e-bike comes with really gives you a nice little boost, especially if you're trying to go uphill or pick up some speed. Data shows that e-bike riders take their bike out more often. That means you get more exercise, more exploration, and wait for it, fresh air. And riding an e-bike isn't like, it's not cheating. It's just making it possible for you to be out there longer on each ride. And speaking of things going a little slower, you can finance an electric e-bike for as little as $49 a month. Get into spring with electric e-bikes, the number one selling e-bikes in the nation. Get your adventure started at electricebikes.com. And please mention that What the Hack with Adam Levin sent you in the post-checkout survey. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Bikes.com. So here's the deal. I use Yahoo Finance. I use it to make money because it works. Not just because they're a sponsor of the show. Heck, I've been using them for years before they ever called to become a sponsor. I do a lot of investing, and I need to make split-second financial decisions, and that's where Yahoo Finance comes in. I trade stocks, and I trade options, and you can't trade them in a vacuum. You've got to know what's going on. Yahoo Finance gives you the opportunity to look at the whole picture. I mean, breaking news, editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, 
I love the customizable charts. They have it all. At Yahoo Finance, I'm part of a community of over 90 million users. You heard me. 90 million folks use Yahoo Finance because they're helping you on your way to financial success. Visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com, yahoofinance.com. One of the weirder parts of Hansen's story is his relationship with Priscilla Gailey. Can you tell our listeners about her? Priscilla Sue Gailey, and this is the way she was always described in all the immediate retellings of the Robert Hansen story, was a stripper. She's an exotic dancer. She is someone who uh, loved to dance and found uh, a commercially successful life as an exotic dancer. And yes, she worked at a strip club in downtown Washington, D.C., not very far from the White House, which meant not very far from FBI headquarters. And she was befriended. And I emphasize the word befriended by Robert Hansen. The immediate assumption people always go to is, well, it must have been for sex. Robert Hansen fell for a stripper and wanted to have sex with her. Never happened. It was an entirely platonic relationship. Priscilla Sue Gailey was wondering throughout this relationship, would it ever become sexual? She constantly was expecting Robert Hansen to, in her words, make a move or make a play. Never did. So what was it? What was the nature of the relationship? There are those who believe that Robert Hansen, this publicly and visibly regular Catholic mass attendee, often who talked about the importance of philosophy and religion and morality, all the while betraying his country and handing its most guarded secrets to its nemesis in the Cold War, the Soviet Union, was trying to save her soul in some way, was trying to do a kind of low-level Pygmalion reclamation project. Is that a thing in Opus Dei? I, he was a member of Opus Dei, right? Did, did they yes. have the, yes, he do they was. have the uh, Eliza Doolittle part of <laughs> the catechism? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you need much wa- must, must watch the Rex Harrison version of My Fair Lady. You know, so I don't, I don't know, but but there are those who are trying to, who have tried to unspool this and say, what was he really about? Another, I think, much closer to the bone explanation is, Hansen needed a place to wash away some of the money he was getting for his spying, and so he treated Priscilla Sue Gailey to lots of things she had never been treated to before. The second time they saw one another. At the strip club, Hansen brought her a sapphire necklace, an unbelievably expensive sapphire necklace. As one does. Yes, right. <laughs> and Priscilla was like uh, overwhelmed with it, and all of her friends were like, you're not going to keep that, are you? She says, of course I'm going to keep it. Why wouldn't I keep it? This nice man, and she knew he was an FBI agent at the time, got me this sapphire necklace. He bought her a Mercedes. He gave her a credit card. He took her on this amazing two-week trip to Hong Kong as part of his business. He had an assignment with the FBI to inspect FBI bureau operations in certain places around the world. One of those places happened to be Hong Kong. So on a separate flight with a separate ticket, he brought Priscilla Sue Gailey with him. And for Priscilla Sue Gailey, this was the most amazing year and a half of her life. 
She'd never been happier. She'd never been treated so well. She never thought it was ever possible in her life as an exotic dancer to have someone interested in her, as she said, for who she was. And he never asked for anything, never wanted anything, sexual or otherwise. He was this wonderful, gentle, kind, humorous, enjoyable conversationalist. She was completely enamored. And as she said to me, I would have done anything for him. I would have gone anywhere, done anything, never questioned a single thing about his motives or his request. And only in latter years, looking back on all this, does Priscilla Sugaley come to the very unhappy conclusion that Hansen's central motive was to set her up, was to have her do something to advance his espionage that she would never be aware of and that might have put her in actual physical danger or serious criminal jeopardy. It never happened, but she now looks back on it and says, I was just being set up. We've spoken with a lot of people on the show who have um, either been targets of or known targets of romance scams. And this seems to hit a lot of the same beats where you have someone find a target and do what's called love bombing, where they just completely overwhelm them with adulation or gifts or what have you. And then they set them up for something later on that ends up being a pretty big scam. It seems like there are a lot of parallels here with that kind of scam. In the sense that Priscilla was kind of love bombed by Robert Hansen and given gifts and sort of swept off her feet, yes. But Hansen never took anything from her. There was never any payoff for him. If anything, it was a way to distribute cash in a way that made her happy and gave him a sense, and we explore this later on in the podcast, of a way to live out a kind of low-level but persistent James Bond fantasy. Priscilla Sue Gailey was a gorgeous woman, and Robert Hansen liked to squire her around town, which is kind of unusual because he's a special agent with the FBI, yet he still did it. He even took her to Quantico one time, to FBI training facility, and gave her a challenge. If you can walk around this place and meld in with the crowd, you'll win a bet for dinner or something like that, some some monetary amount of money. And sure enough, he left her alone. Everyone thought that she was like on some special project or with the Bureau or with the CIA or something, and she completely ingratiated herself. When you talk about the James Bond side of this story, it's really compelling and and it it actually doesn't eclipse the idea Travis was floating that there's an element of romance scams here. And I'll tell you why. A lot of Bond movies, they do turn on, there's a noir aspect where there's a female counter spy or a double agent. And and so there there was a little bit of that happening where I I I thought Priscilla was right. <laughs> I thought she was being set up too. Look, this is not at all unusual in espionage. The whole idea of a honeypot, the idea that you are being recruited, you're being put in a sexually compromised position because either the person who's luring you into that seductive space is a double agent herself or an agent in place herself, meaning she works for the hostile foreign power and getting you in a compromised position. So now you're the one who's on the string or there's this sort of phony romance thing that is about manipulating you into a place where you can be part of the chum, just part of the things that get chewed up in espionage and dead drops and other things, you become expendable. And Priscilla definitely decides 
and decided after looking at this for many, many years, she was going to be thrown into that pile of expendables. Tell us a little bit about the psychology at play here. Is there something that makes us fall for a spy's charm? Or is there something that makes someone want to be a spy? Everyone in this particular conversation, everyone listening to this, wears a mask from time to time. You wear a mask at work, you wear a mask when you go out to the shopping mall, you wear a mask when you go to your, if you have children, their little league games. We all have different sort of orientations and our ways we present ourselves. That's completely natural, completely normal. But Robert Hansen, from a psychological perspective, and this is not my opinion, this is the opinion of the psychiatrist handled by his legal defense team, Dr. David Charney, didn't have masks. He had these deeply embedded compartments of his personality, airtight compartments in which he would be a fundamentally different person, one compartment to the next. These compartments were diametrically opposed to one another at times. What do I mean by that? So he'd walk around the FBI and he would tell anyone who would listen for two minutes how much he hated the communists, how the godless communists had to be defeated. And they were not just wrong, but savagely, evilly wrong in their orientation to mankind, to souls, to God, to justice, all of this. A virulent, kind of spitting anti-communist. Okay, compartment one, right next to that compartment two. Oh, handing off secrets to whom? The Soviets. To damage what? The United States of America. There's the other compartment. Big super patriot. As virulently as he was anti-communist, Robert Hansen presented himself as a super American patriot. Huge believer in law and order. Huge admirer of the American ethic and justice and the American way. Also, as I mentioned before, a converted Catholic. He was raised a Lutheran, but he became a Catholic when he married his wife, Bonnie. Not just a Catholic, but a super uber Catholic in Opus Dei. Went to Mass every day. Talked incessantly with people about their underlying religious philosophy and how grounded they were in God and how much did they understand the philosophical importance of understanding the power of a supreme being in Christ and in Catholicism. He would go on and on about that, wear people out with it. Some people enjoyed it, most people didn't, found him annoying and compulsive with all this philosophizing about religion and God and everything. So there's that. All of that would suggest a kind of piety and reverence for the Catholic sacrament of marriage. Was Hansen sacramental and reverent about marriage? Well, no, if you understand that he wrote open source pornography about his wife, Bonnie, under his own name. It was the late 1990s, so not everyone saw it. Most people didn't see it, but he did it anyway. On top of that, his best friend, Jack Hoshauer, guy he knew from high school, he would invite on a regular basis to watch him have sex with his wife, Bonnie, and Jack would do it. I didn't understand that. This has something to do with the fact that he leaked secrets to the Soviet and to the Russian governments, uh, you know, and people got killed and it was really serious. This has something to do with it. There was a sort of moral dissonance going on here. Kind of a moral savagery that, that takes not only 
concepts of basic right and wrong and justice and, and pours acid over them. I mean, just destroys them. At one point, Jack, his friend, is tired of watching them have sex because he has to do it on the back deck looking through their bedroom window and it's cold outside. So Hansen says, okay, I'm technologically adept. I will set up a closed circuit camera in my bedroom and I'll wire it up to the TV in the basement and you get to watch the show as it was described in the comfort of their basement. So there's all sorts of strange cross currents here. And I want to ask you about this. Do you think that his piety in terms of his patriotism was just a cover for him? Is it possible that he believed in all of the things that he was saying? He felt that he that the government of the United States was betraying his principles. So as a result, this was his way of toppling people that were betraying his principles. These things are all really contradictory. And you know, the thing about Opus Dei in the Washington, D.C. area, it is a power structure. It's a very significant power structure. Robert Hansen at Opus Dei and the various Catholic masses he attended often would be in the presence of the FBI director, Louis Free. And there was a period of time in which the mole that the intelligence community was trying to find, who all the time was Robert Hansen, but for a while, a good long while, the FBI mistakenly thought was a CIA agent named Brian Kelly. There was a time when all three were at the same mass. Just imagine that. There's FBI director, Louis Free, praying, gee, I hope we catch the mole. And Brian Kelly praying, geez, I'm not the mole. I hope they get off my back. And Robert Hansen, the actual mole, saying, hope they never catch me. I mean, talk about it. Talk about it. A, 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 a human contradiction right in the same place, under the same arch of God, if you will. So there are lots of crazy contradictions, but this idea that he needed to be seen is not unimportant. It's super important. Now, look, everyone wants to be seen, and the idea that you're invisible or not noticed or not given enough credit runs through a lot of manias and runs through a lot of bad behavior. It can also be an inspiration to very good behavior. I think there is an element for Hansen that is important there, that he wanted to be better recognized and more seen for the things he did contribute to the FBI. And he often thought that his colleagues were much less intelligent than he was. He certainly felt that way in the technology space. And he was light years ahead of the FBI and well ahead of many of his contemporaries, either in the FBI or anywhere else in the world in the early 80s. He was way into Apple computers and the methodology of coding and writing programs and figuring out ways to navigate in the crude computer world of the early 1980s. And that was a skill set. And it was undervalued, if not ignored, by the FBI. That did create a degree of resentment. But look, bureaucratic resentment is one thing. Doing what he did is a completely different class of criminality. Let's
Let's talk about weight loss. Most of us have been there, struggling with the ups and downs. You lose some weight, then it creeps back. But forget those endless cycles of juice cleanses, soup diets, and the latest fad workouts. There's a better way. The Rope Body Program pairs a weekly weight loss shot with a real lifestyle change so you can lose weight and actually keep it off. Need support? Rose got you covered every step of the way. And guess what? You can do it all from the comfort of your own home. No more doctor's appointments, no more waiting rooms. It's that simple. Ready to take charge of your weight? Head over to row.co slash Adam to sign up today. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in a year. That's with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash Adam. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash A-D-A-M. It's been over 20 years since Hansen's treachery was discovered, and he was arrested. And we still regularly see headlines about the U.S. government agencies getting breached by state-sponsored hackers. Have we learned anything about how to better guard our secrets in all these years? Sure, we've learned some things, but the threat environment is constantly changing. The methodologies, the probing is relentless. For Hansen, it was uncommonly and almost easy at a banal level. I mean, as one person told us, it was easier to walk out of FBI headquarters with top-secret documents than it was to walk out of a public library with a unchecked-out book. That's reassuring. <laughs> now, things have improved since Hansen. There was a tremendous effort to understand what he did and how he did it and how basic some of the things were. And they've tightened up a lot of things. For example, and this will blow your mind if you don't already know it, and it will certainly blow the mind of those in your audience. Robert Hansen worked the FBI for the better part of 25 years. At no point, even though he was in very sensitive work, counterintelligence and intelligence for a good part of his career. He was never polygraphed, not once. There was never a financial audit done on Robert Hansen, not even the crudest form of financial audit. As a matter of fact, his brother-in-law, let me repeat this, Robert Hansen's brother-in-law, who was also an FBI agent, went to his supervisor and said, you know, we in the family are a little nervous. We think you might want to investigate Robert Hansen for espionage. Nothing ever happened with that. A gentleman named Earl Pitts, an FBI agent, also convicted of spying for the Soviets, in his debriefings with the FBI, was asked, is there anyone you think we should look into? You know who he suggested? Robert Hansen. <laughs> the FBI never did anything with any of those pieces hey. of information. So not only was there a cultural disbelief, just an absolute rigid culture of denialism. Oh, it can't be us, can't be us, can't be us. Got to be someplace else. Hansen also just used things adroitly to exploit weaknesses, but also weakness was built in to day-to-day FBI mismanagement. You, you're familiar with the phrase culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've seen a better example. The, 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 the fact that the FBI culture was so lax and and complacent about their their security but it does it is a culture thing and and part of the culture was a grandiosity yeah 
about themselves. Well, you're the FBI. We don't do things we, like that. We don't yeah. do no, no. But we also no. don't. We don't even miss recruit. Like we no, know. We ne- we ne- we never blow it in recruitment. We never blow it in promotion. We never blow it in our way of of moving people around or understanding the criminal mind or understanding why people go bad. And we just we don't misunderstand anything. And that that grandiosity created a I think a very significant blind spot. Thank you, Major Garrett. Now, the podcast is Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. The thread between Robert Hansen and the scammers and hackers and identity thieves we talk about every week on this show is they think they're smarter. Yeah. They think they're smarter. Scammers who, you know, whether they're a catfisher or a, you know. Ransomware, romance scams, technology scams. All of them. uh, Cryptocurrency scams, all of them. The perpetrator always thinks that they're smarter than the person they're victimizing. Yeah, that sense of superiority is definitely the gateway to predatory behavior. Well, I think that some of them, they may not think they're smarter. They may just actually have a really low opinion of the general population. <laughs> You're like, I'm so-so, but you are really a rube. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that's so. You know, like, I'm a lout, but you're a stupid lout. <laughs> right. <laughs> so if that's the case, what did we learn from this? Well, we've learned that you really have to understand the psychology of people. A lot of people don't take time to think about the psychology of people. And oftentimes, it's the guys that think they're too cool for school that end up being the problem. Well, you know, I was thinking about somebody else on at, at the Supermax in Florence, Colorado, where Robert Hansen died. Um, and that's Ted Kaczynski, and mm-hmm. who I knew. And he was, for sure, a person who thought that I don't think that he necessarily thought much about how smart he was, but he did think quite a bit about how stupid everyone else was and, Mm. and, or misguided. And I think there was that sense of superiority that you were just talking about, Travis, that you see in Hanson. And I guess his version of it was Opus Dei, you know, and, and, and that ultra Christian approach. Well, I, you know, I think in his case, you got a guy who was a, super patriot who felt that the government was betraying him and he did the exact opposite of what you think a super patriot would do, but it's not illogical, which is I'm going to burn it to the ground. I'm just going to burn it to the ground because I am deeply offended by what people are doing and I'm smarter than they are. And I can't believe they're that stupid that they would jeopardize my country. Yeah. And, and I guess that's where it becomes different from the scammers we usually cover, because they're not really, you know, there's no grand idea behind a lot of this, other than I would like to make a grand or two <laughs> or 10 <laughs> or $35, like the like that guy who kept telling me that he won the, the Powerball. So, you know, it could be 
you know, it's it's there is a difference there. There's a big difference, but I do think, uh, Travis, you were right that the psychology of Robert Hansen is similar to the psychology of your garden variety scammer, and it and it hinges on that question. People are dumb, and <laughs> I can get over <laughs> on them. And everyone's going to be dumb at some point, so it's a pretty easy uh, worldview to fall into. Okay, it's time for the tinfoil swan. Our paranoid takeaway to keep you safe on and offline. Okay, so Robert Hansen was a piece of work. Putting in mildly. But, you know, all things are teachable moments. Let's learn from his example. Bo, he's not exactly a role model. No, but, uh, you know, all right. So a big part of protecting yourself and your data comes down to protecting your identity. And Hansen managed to do that. He did manage to keep a double life under wraps for the entire United States security apparatus. For decades. Yeah. So, uh, as much as he sucked. (laughs) And he did suck. There's something to be learned here. Well, one of the biggest things that stood out, both from uh, Major Garrett's podcast, but also from this episode, was that Hansen kept his most sensitive information pretty low tech. He wasn't transmitting data via email. He was taping it to the underside of a bridge. Which is, by the way, how he got caught. Yeah, but if he was transmitting that information digitally, even back in the 90s, he would have been a lot easier to catch. So where are we going with this, other than maybe giving instructions to other would-be spies? (laughs) We're not. Um, The only takeaway is you need to air gap your most sensitive data. Air gapping meaning to not leave your data on an internet-connected device. Yeah, but it's possible to compromise non-internet connected devices. So I say for your most sensitive information, the best advice is to not keep it in a digital format at all. Write it down, keep it in a folder, and keep the folder someplace secure. Well, nowhere is 100% secure. Sure, but if someone's after sensitive data that's written down, they need to break into your house. Yeah, and in my case, crack a safe in my house. All easy things to do. But I get what you're saying. (laughs) It comes down to this. Digitized data is easier to steal. Right. It's the same thing that happened with music and movies. Once it's digitized, media is a lot easier to copy and distribute. So if you have some information or data that you really don't want to get intercepted, exfiltrated, or fall into the wrong hands, keep it analog. And tape it to the underside of a bridge. And that's our tinfoil swan. What the Hack with Adam Levin is a production of Loud Tree Media. You can find us online at adamlevin.com and on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Adam K. Levin.